St. John. Welcome to the Post Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing well. So today we will be discussing the sermon from this past Sunday. Um, tell us about the text that you preached on. Uh, this was from Luke chapter 14, and this is the parable of the of the banquet. There's a few of these kind of parables, but this one is specifically of a king who hosts a banquet. He tells a servant to invite certain people. People reject the invitation because of excuses they make. And then the king says, invite all these other people, like the poor, the lame, the weak, the blind, and so on. And what were the three excuses that these people used? Oh, the first excuse was uh, about someone who bought a field, right? You want to go inspect it. And then someone bought five yoke of oxen. They want to go look at them. And then another said that he got married. He was not able to come. And you said, so then after the three excuses, the servant said that there's still room. And then what does the master say to the servant? Yeah, so the servant goes back and reports about those excuses. And then the master, he gets angry and says, invite the poor, the lame, the weak, the blind. And, th- and it's at that point when the servant says, this has happened. There's still room in the house. And then the, he sends the servant out again, even, f- even more far flung to bring in more people into his house. Well, very good. Um, well, I guess to start off, I, I do have a here's some question about this text. Um, so in verse 23, like you had said, the master is speaking to the servant and he says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Um, and this person noticed how we have the word compel there in the other parts of the text use the word invite. So this person said, compel is an interesting word. Why not invite? So can you clarify? Does the Greek help with answering that question? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And this is always a challenge with the parables is what to make of the details, even the change of a verb, right? Even just uh, in the parable, you get two whom say, please have me excused. And the third one doesn't say, please have me excused, but they're all making excuses. Or I think in like Matthew 13, you have the parable of the, of the buried treasure, right? It's a, what's a one verse parable. And then you also have the parable of the pearl of great price, right? And it's a two verse parable. They're back to back to each other. And some will try to play the details off each other and, and show there's some sort of difference to be made. But the bigger thing is to look at the general idea of the parable of a great, Price is paid to purchase this thing, this field, this pearl. Our Lord is the one who gave all of himself. He paid the price by his death and resurrection, his blood more costly than gold and silver, to purchase us that we would be his own. I mean, that's that's what the parable's doing. So going back to this parable and to this, this verb, because you get that switch from invite to compel. And I think there could be a place of that kind of intensifying of ideas that the master is intent that his house will be full. This is how the master is, this is how our God is. God will have his ways accomplished, and he will see to it. And maybe this speaks to the ideas of conversion, that the Lord is the one who converts us. He is the one who repents us and gives us faith by his spirit. And we can even just lean into those ideas, maybe, with the parable. But looking more specifically at that verb in Greek, uh, it's is it an agkadzo. Uh, the verb can just mean to compel or to force. And let me share a couple of other places where this comes up. So like in Acts, it says, you know, uh, to compel the Gentiles to live in the Judean manner. Or in Galatians 2, 
he was not compelled to be circumcised. Or in Acts 28, Paul speaking up, I was obliged to appeal to Caesar. And so there, I think you already begin to see a softening of that force of compel. And you can even translate um, to a weaker sense of you urge upon or you press or just simply invite. And so com- this verb in Greek could just mean invite. And so my guess is your, your English translators, you already said invite earlier with a different verb. Well, we had to pick a different verb here <laughs> to, to help have some difference there, even though they're meaning the same thing. So that's a really long way to say, I'm not sure. No, that is really interesting. Like, I like what you said earlier, too, in parables. You don't want to pay, like, too much attention to all the details. I mean, sometimes there is significance in the details, but like you said, looking at the um, overarching idea of the parable, the general idea, right, um, is helpful. And what you said, too, about this invitation or our Lord, like, it's, it's our Lord who's creating faith and bringing us in, right, to this banquet. It's not something we are doing ourselves. Yeah, there's a lot of options here that we could do. And I think maybe the way to lean into this is what is the character of our God? I mean, these parables are revealing our God, his reign, how God is going about to save us. Our God desires for his house to be full and he will see to it that that happens. And that idea of kind of the intensifying of the verbs to me makes sense is, and is consistent with the God who is he will find his lost sheep and bring them home. Well, very good. Um, let's go now from the text to your actual sermon. What was your central teaching in the sermon? Uh, the central teaching in the sermon is the master of the house gathers and will gather us into his house. And you focused on this word gathers, right? That it's actually in our liturgy? Yeah. Uh, so the thing about this parable is it's, the third of three parables that Jesus gives in Luke 14, he is at the house of a Pharisee and they're having an extended dinner conversation. And so you have these other parables about banquets, about meals, uh, very easily when you read through Luke and how often Jesus is at table and knowing that Luke's gospel ends with the road to Emmaus with the Lord's supper and the disciples realizing it's the Lord. He's risen from the dead and they recognized it in the breaking the bread it's really easy to make Lord's Supper connections. And so I thought about in our worship service, uh, with our current order of service, we have a prayer of thanksgiving. And that happens before the supper and kind of our preparation for it. And there's two times it mentions gather, that we are gathered in the name and remembrance of Jesus. And, you know, gather us, we pray, from the ends of the earth. And so one is looking at the present day celebration of the supper. The second use of gather is looking forward to the last day when the master will fill his house. He will fill his new creation and we will gather at the feast. So do you think in this parable, is it, is it talking about like both then? Or would you say there's more emphasis like on the future banquet? I, I think or, it's, I think that's fair. Yeah. So the parable to me is aiming towards the future. Okay. But then in your sermon, you're trying to focus on both of them. Is that right? Yeah, and, and that's partly, if we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper has those present and future connotations. And especially, as I mentioned, Luke ends thinking about the Lord's Supper on the Emmaus Road. Uh, we have already been gathered by virtue of our baptism and, and by virtue of communing together. And we talk of this, it's the foretaste of the feast to come. And so there's this, there are these now and not yet qualities to the faith. And we see that, I think that's even fair to make that here. Yeah. It's, it's still 
lacking, right? Like there's still this incompleteness to it, right? Because it's that, that, like you said, that foretaste. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's more to be desired and, and more yet to come. So in your sermon, what was the problem that you tried to identify? Uh, in the sermon, I wanted to lean into... Um, I wanted to lean into the excuses that were being made in the parable and how to connect them to my hearers and how these are ultimately first commandment issues. I mean, it doesn't matter the the excuse, whether it's about work or property or, or family or even our own life itself. It's very easy to take these things and to elevate them over and above our God and his claim upon our lives. And I wanted to lean into that problem of, of the first commandment and keeping the first commandment first. And I guess one way I spoke of that was the idea of the fear of missing out. Sure. And I think in that way, like this is a really challenging parable because these are good excuses, yeah. right? And you really tried to lean into that. Yeah, because we hear bad excuses all the time and uh, we, we make bad excuses ourselves. And the excuses in this parable are good. They're about tending to the work that God has given us to do, to the the things of the creation we are to steward in the creation, to the relationships that God has placed us into and even to our own lives. I mean, these are all God-created, God-given things, and they will all be realities for us in the new creation. The problem is these are being elevated over and above in this in the parable, over over and above the master's invitation. In our, in our lives, over and above the God who created us and all these things he's given us. So it's going back to that first commandment issue that you brought up, that you shall have no other gods. So these good excuses can then become, in a way, bad excuses when we put them before the, this feast, right? The, the Lord inviting us to his banquet. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we do this with, with so many things, and we just assume that, well, this is, this is what we do. And yet, Why? You know, from, from kids' sports to uh, moving away for a degree to even the retirement home we pick in the nursing home if it's too far away from the congregation and now I'm no longer able to attend service. or um, Why do we elevate some of these things? And just to give us some pause in that. And yet, is this all part of the creation? Sure. And there's goodness to the creation? Yeah. But everything needs to be in its right place and its right order. And that order begins with right, our Lord when we fear, love, and trust above all things. I might quote this line wrong from your sermon, but you said something about how if we're not rightly related to God, then we're not going to be rightly related to one another. And I really like that. Yeah, and actually, uh, you helped me with uh, some of that language. Uh, looking over the sermon this week, I asked you to kind of preview it and give some feedback, and you really helped kind of bring out just how do we apply this problem to everyone that we all wrestle with the first commandment and that we put things out of order all the time. Yeah, I wasn't sure when I had like read your sermon beforehand, I wasn't sure if people would completely understand those words of like, what does it mean to not be rightly related to our creator and to not be rightly related to one another? Um, but then, yeah, I like then like later on you clarified just if worship is not central in our lives, then everything else in our life, especially those good things are not rightly ordered. Yeah, or disordered. I, yeah, and you helped me with that. I, I, I guess I was kind of went. It was just kind of assumed, especially talking Lord's Supper so much, but just to say more explicitly about the centrality of worship in our lives, and 
this is where we are. Our relationship is restored with our God and with one another. It is kind of interesting because you did mention how it's like a first commandment issue, but when we're talking about worship too, you can't but help of like the third commandment as well. Like yeah. That's the third commandment issue. Yeah. But I guess that's because first commandment kind of includes all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. And even just like, I mean, obviously this goes into all the commandments and right. how, we, how we relate ourselves. And I mean, part of honoring my father and mother is to actually be rela- rightly related to my heavenly father first. And that's, you know, and that's, uh, if you, I think it's in Luke 14. Yeah, let me, I think it's in Luke 14. Uh, if you keep reading that, you get the, if you don't hate your father and mother, you don't love me kind of stuff from Jesus, which is really intense from nice, gentle Jesus from Luke's gospel, which he's, he's just not <laughs> that way in Luke. Um, there is an order of how things ought to be. And it, it is the creator and then the created things. Yeah, or another one I thought of was like ninth and 10th commandments, which deal with us being content with what God has given us. I mean, you were bringing up FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yeah, so. I, I hope they didn't come off as too cliche. I was a little worried about, I, I didn't <laughs> even want to say the acronym FOMO, but just, just the fear of missing out. I guess, yeah, you didn't say FOMO, but when you hear fear of missing out, yeah. it's FOMO. I, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, but I think that just really speaks to when you have that, like, oh, I want to be a part of this, or I don't want to miss this, or, you know, I, I, I wasn't a part of this Instagram story, or I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not on Instagram. Um, that urge or desire within us is bumping right into the first commandment, I, I, I think, and wanting wanting more than what we have and, and not being content with what's at place. And it, it gets right into this, how are things ordered in our lives and how are they not? How did you get to Jesus in your sermon? So to get to Jesus in this sermon, I really looked at the the dialogue of the parable and kind of used that to structure the sermon because a large chunk of the sermon is dealing with that please have me excused, you know, lines that come in the middle of the sermon. And it's it's a tough teaching. I mean, we are we are calling one another to to kill our idols and to put them away. And that our God would be the one whom we fear, love, and trust. And I appreciate how the sermon begins with some random person at the table saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the reign of God. And of course, the master at the end of the parable saying that my house may be filled. That you have these beautiful, bold statements of gospel and that this is true. The master's house will be full and everyone who eats bread in the reign of God is blessed. And we have a foretaste of that blessing now in the supper when we gather together and that will be on the last day. And so how did I get to Jesus in this way is that um, the challenge of living faith right now is bookended by his gospel, by his work, by his death and resurrection, and how this bread and wine, this body and blood we receive today, it does forgive our sins. It forgives even our good excuses that are not employed well. Um, his body and blood um, strengthens us for the task ahead. And... Uh, I guess part of it is just, in some ways, the gospel is asserting the gospel over and against every other asserting person and thing in this world. Yeah, I really like that that line that you mentioned. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it does make me wonder if whoever, we don't know who said that, right? Yeah, it just said, that, you know, some just dude at the table. Who reclined I don't, at I table don't, with him. And just for the record, I don't know the Greek word for dude. But go ahead. <laughs> but I do even wonder if he had any idea what he was saying when he said that. 
right. my guess is probably not right um i don't know but then like what gospel there is in that and it's yeah yeah know. yeah and you get this these awesome moments in the gospels where you have like these uh you know these folks just kind of making these beautiful statements of of truth and uh, from the lips of children would be Luke's gospel on Palm Sunday, right? You know, if the children don't cry out the stones well. And um, and then even through the passion narratives, just the, the great irony of, of all the, the rulers and the leaders and those who want to kill Jesus make these these proclamations of he really is the king. The gospel can't help but, but break forth and even in unexpected ways from random people at table. How did you intend to benefit your hearers in their faith or life? Uh, my aim in the sermon was to... And a lot of ways kind of ask us the question, why? Again and again, you know, why do we elevate these things? Why do we think good excuses allow us to excuse how we order ourselves with our creator? And to also encourage us that being a Christian does mean missing out on things, and that's okay too. And missing out on some things now is worth it for what will be. And... Um, I guess I wanted to help my hearers uh, be mindful of how they go about living um, in their lives in and out um, from worship service to worship service. And I guess one other thing, too, is as we go about that process of re-sifting and reordering, I mean, we're going to realize our sin. We're going to realize how we have not kept God first and we have made other idols truly idols. And to find that assurance that the master's house will be full and we will be brought into that house that um, take, eat, take, drink, the supper forgives your sins now. And the supper is but a foretaste of what will be. And to, that's, I like that idea of kind of bookending that, that tough parable with these statements of gospel that this is true. The gospel that transforms us, enables us to live, and we're going to fall short. And thankfully that gospel is still the reality for our lives that continues to transform us more and more like Christ. Right. And when we go to the supper, like it's strengthening us in our faith so that we can live that Christian life so that we can crush these idols and rightly order everything that God's given us in, in the right way. Yeah. Cause these things will be in the new creation, these God given things, but everything in the right place and as it should be. Tell me something about the text that did not make it into the sermon. I mentioned how this is the third of three parables I thought about maybe connecting to that and what each parable is teaching in this chapter of Luke while Jesus is at the same meal. And so I could have gone in that direction. You said you heard a sermon on this parable recently. What was kind of the, the angle that that sermon took? The preacher shared uh, the story of Jacob and Esau and about how Esau just gave up his birthright so easily for soup um, and just connected it to these excuses that are made instead of going to the banquet and how how easily we may be tempted to give up our birthright for something else. So mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that connection to the Jacob Esau story. Well, thank you, Pastor. This wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to our discussion. In case you missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes. And you can also find it on our church website, stjohndublin.org. If you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thanks, Deaconess. All right. Take care, you guys. Bye. Bye, all.